Devoncast from Radio X. Hello and welcome to Devoncast, the weekly podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon, the politics, the people and how decisions here affect how we live, work and enjoy our county. I'm Ollie Heptonstall. I'm Rob Kershaw. And I'm Philip Cherm. By the way, this week we'll be hearing from former Conservative MP Neil Parrish about the scandal that saw him quit Parliament last year and whether he might be considering a return. We'll also look at why we'll all need to show voter ID at the upcoming local elections and we'll ask the question on everyone's lips, should we start eating grey squirrels? And as well as Neil Parrish joining us this week, we have Independent County and District Councillor Jess Bailey. Welcome to you both. And just to say, local pop group Pleasant Sense will be playing us out this week. We'll be speaking to them later on. Devoncast from Radio X. But first up, did you know you'll need to show ID in order to vote at this May's local elections? The government has introduced the new rule, also expected to come into force for the next general election, following advice from the Electoral Commission. It means you'll need an original, accepted form of ID to show at the polling station before being given a ballot paper. These include a driving licence or passport, but if you don't have one, you can apply for a free voter ID document from your local council. Ministers say they can't be complacent on ensuring democracy, but opponents say the move is discriminatory and unnecessary. Exeter City Labour Councillor Josie Parkhouse is one of those against the scheme. Here's what she had to say during a meeting last year. I stood personally in one of the elections that was in Bromley, which was the rollout of these tests of voter ID. And in both of the voter ID test pilots, it was shown that about a thousand people were turned away. They came without ID, they were turned away and they didn't come back. So we know in local elections, every vote matters. And I think we'll see for ourselves that this isn't a great program and will just lead to more disenfranchisement of very vulnerable populations. But Tory MP Chloe Smith defended the plan in the House of Commons. Voter fraud is a crime that we cannot allow room for and we must stamp out any potential for it to take place in elections. Strengthening the integrity of our system will give the public confidence that our elections remain secure well into the future and everybody who is eligible to vote will be able to continue doing so. So, Jess, we'll, we'll throw to you first. You raised some concerns about this uh, just recently in a cabinet meeting in East Devon. Um, could you just give us some, some thoughts on this voter ID scheme? Because it has proven quite controversial. Thank you. Yeah, my view is um, that it's an absolutely terrible scheme. Not only is it a terrible scheme that discriminates against younger people, but it also has been introduced far too late before the local elections. There's an established principle that you don't start messing around with rules relating to elections within the six months immediately prior to those elections. Well, this government's completely ignored that and is introducing these rules at the last minute. And I don't think people are aware of them. And I'm really, really concerned that instead of making our system more robust, I think it's actually going to disenfranchise thousands of people across the country. When I asked uh, my local authority, East Devon District Council, how many people have applied for a voter authority certificate so far, the answer was 50. Based on national statistics, I believe that there are around 
nearly 5,000 people that don't have voter ID in East Devon. And I think what is particularly frustrating about this new scheme is that there's virtually a non-existent problem. It's going to be really expensive to roll out. It's going to cost something like £180 million over a decade. And yet there's no recognised issue with voter fraud and personation. There's no problem. Jess, Jess, you say there is no evidence of voter fraud. We know that's not entirely true. We do know that there are examples of fraud. It may be small, but it is nevertheless there on occasions and there has been some history of this. Are you against the idea of ID in principle? I don't think that it's necessary. I mean, I've checked with East Devon and they're not even aware of a single allegation, let alone a conviction. So I'm not aware that it's a problem at all. And if you look across all the elections in 2021, I believe there was one case one case in all the elections. There were vast numbers of elections in 2021. So I am against it. And I think that the government should be making it easier for people to vote. I don't think people should have to turn up and produce their ID, because even those people that do have ID may not be aware of these ridiculous new rules and may turn up, not have it and be sent away and choose not to come back. And I think It's designed to take votes away from non-Tories, and I think that's quite wrong. Neil, let's bring you in on this. You were elected on a manifesto that included this policy in 2019. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think it is actually necessary for people to identify themselves. Um, I think we we are actually slow in rolling it out and we are actually slow in getting the necessary um, information to people. But I think when I was in Parliament, um, a guy called Jim Fitzpatrick sat on my committee. He was Labour MP for Poplar and Bow. Um, and he was quite adamant that there was, in parts of his constituency, uh, quite a lot of, of, of fraud uh, during the election. So I think, you know, I mean, East Devon and probably most of the West Country probably is not a huge target for problems. But I think the trouble is when you bring in a system, it needs to be a national system. Otherwise, you know, you're identifying different authorities um, and, and targeting them. So I think it's necessary. I think it will be um, I think we got to make sure that the district councils get the information out. Um, and I would accept what Jess says. It, it's not, you know, it's getting close to the election now. But I think it's really necessary because I think in the end, let's make sure that everybody's vote are who they actually say they are. Um, and I think most people, they don't actually um, pretend to be somebody they're not. But in parts of the country, it has happened. And I think it's right to get it. But I think Jess is right. There will be problems in, in the first instance but it once at some stage we do need to bring this in uh, to make sure that who is voting are exactly who they say okay. they are let me just um you mentioned there are instances of voter fraud neil let me just read you what uh, john street the exeter city council returning officer said at a meeting last summer in the most recent times i know of there have been two suspected electoral fraud issues within exeter which i've referred to the police and neither of them were found to be issues of electoral fraud is it creating an issue this that doesn't really exist i think what you have to do and i will repeat you you 
with elections, you have to have a national system. Uh, and so therefore, you can't sort of pick areas where you because they would say that you were you were actually picking on a particular area. Um, so therefore, I think you bring in a national system. Um, I don't think Exeter would have a huge problem. I don't think East Devon, Mid Devon will either. But it's brought in as a national system to identify ourselves when we vote. And I think it will need to stand as that. Uh, but it, there will be uh, teething problems. And I think the government does need to pull its socks up to deliver this in a better way. But I think it's right to do it. Jess, just to bring you back in, we are just around the corner from the elections. Do you think there is a real danger here that there are some people or a lot of people who are going to be turned away at the polling stations and won't get a vote this May? Yes, I do. And I think it concerns me as well the impact on the people working in the polling stations and i think there could be really difficult situations where people are asked to produce their id there may be issues about whether there's a true likeness and suddenly those polling staff you know they're they're going to have to vet people effectively and assess their id and i just think that that's just not necessary or appropriate. The government hasn't taken a proportionate approach to this. So, for instance, they didn't have to exclude young people's Oyster cards in the way that they've allowed over 60s Oyster cards. So it seems to me there's a lot of discrepancy and they've taken a particularly hard line approach to ID. Neil, uh, if I can come to you and pick up also on what something that Jess just said there about the types of ID that are acceptable. Let's look at the list of some of these in terms of uh, the things that are acceptable. Older person's bus pass, Oyster 60 plus car, freedom passes, um, uh, war disablement smart passes, and so on and so forth. On that list, you don't find anything which says student rail card or uh, student card or young persons. It, it, it is something that, that blatantly discriminates against young people, the kind of people we need to try and encourage into the polling booth, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't try to um, defend that. Um, I think we do need to have ID across the board, across the age groups. And I think that's probably... Um, unfortunately, for these particular elections, we may well have to learn some lessons through it. We could learn some lessons now. Perhaps we can even actually widen uh, the number of ID cards that could be accepted. So, like I said, no, I, I accept that situation. But where I would still repeat myself is I think we do need to have a form of ID uh, as we vote, because I think otherwise there there is fraud in parts of the country. Thank you both for your thoughts on that, and I'm sure it will be an issue that will come up again with those local elections in May. Devoncast from Radio X. Now, it's almost a year since Neil Parrish dramatically quit as an MP after admitting watching pornography twice in Parliament. The first time, apparently, accidentally, after looking at tractors. Obviously, that was in the past. What sort of fallout have you had since then? Because you stepped down as an MP, how have your constituents, so your former constituents, reacted to that? I think um, they reacted in a mixed way. I mean, I made a terrible mistake. Uh, I resigned and, and, and left Parliament. So I think, um, you know, there will be some that will, will sort of never forgive me for, for what I did. I think many have probably accepted that I would sort of never do it again um, and really hugely regret uh, what I did. So, um, you know, you just really actually deal with people when I see them, when I meet them. On the whole, people approach me very much 
as they did before, but naturally there will be mixed views uh, from quite a number. So yes, I mean, it's one of those, it was a, a terrible year for me. And it's interesting now really to see where I, I take my, myself uh, going forward, because I still have a very much a public interest in mind. I've got politics in the, in the blood, um, food, farming, environment. I just want to sort of try and keep those things running if I can and hopefully um, do some good. Have you come to terms with it now, Neil? Because it is, what is it, 10 months on? I mean, a hugely embarrassing episode. Have you learned to live with it? Yes, I mean you, you. You've got to really. Um, whether you, whatever happens. I mean, I, I went through you know very, very uh, bad patch naturally. Um, and I lost my sort of sense of humour, and and but I, I regain that now. Um, and I have to uh, you know put it behind me. Uh, bad mistake. Uh, should never have done it. Um, but like I said, left Parliament. Um, and and took what I believe was the right decision. Um, but like I said, now I'm reviewing where I am and 2023, I believe, is a is a new year and um, I need to sort of move forward if at all possible. You know, the sort of the farming background of me, not that I've ever been a great one for riding a horse, but um, if you have a terrible fall off a horse, you, you try and get back on it again, don't you, and, and move on. And so that's where I am, really. And that's just, where just, we are. Just really. talking about move, moving on now. Um you're obviously no longer an MP. Are you still a member of the Conservative Party? No, no, I'm no longer a member of the Conservative Party. Um, I don't particularly like the direction on, on some of the policies. Uh, and so um, I have sort of just making up my mind now um, whether to um, stand um, for Parliament uh, as an independent. And, and, and as an MP, you had a very large majority and you were very popular as well. So what kind of policies would you go into an election on um, if you were going to be standing as an independent that might differ from the Conservative mainstream? Well, what you see, what I learnt is, is sort of certainly in sort of 10, 12 years in Parliament, but six years of chairing a select committee for like from 17 to 19, there was no majority on the select committee. So I very much worked across party. And of course, I've been one of these MPs that sit in Parliament, and although you can't always agree with the opposition, you do actually listen to the opposition and think there are some really quite good ideas there as well. So, I mean, I, I would, you know, it, it, it would be naturally, it would be the, the cottage hospitals, the health side of it. It would be the food and farming side of it. Um, naturally, the, the big issue for, for Tiverton itself um, is the new school for Tiverton High School. So, I mean, that's making progress now, but that needs to be delivered. So those things would be very much, you know, rural transport, I mean, any amount of things. And as an independent, difficult to deliver in Parliament, but I have had a lot of experience in Parliament. But what it does enable you to do is look at policies across the piece, because I, I wouldn't stand to be anti-Tory, anti-Labour, anti-Liberal, anti-Green. I would, like I said, try to put forward a positive message and see whether people actually wanted that. And at the next general election, it might be interesting time to stand as an independent because I think people might be looking for something different. But have I blotted my copybook too much? Who knows, you see? That's the thing that you have to make up and I have to make up my mind. Um, and um, I, I, I did last week, I did um, Nigel Farage, 
with GB News down in Exeter. And what, what was interesting there was that it was people that in the audience that I I didn't know. And, and they came up and actually um, were were quite supportive. So um, naturally, your farming friends and the people that you've worked with across the constituency, they always say, yeah, well, we'll support you, Neil, which I think they would. But like I said, how is it viewed beyond that? Uh, Jess, let's just bring you back in for a second. Uh, of course, now as a fellow independent, really, to, to, mm-hmm. to Neil, what were your thoughts when that news came out last year? And how would you feel about Neil coming back in and, and standing as an MP? I mean, I, I don't know Neil. I've never spoken to, to Neil. I've, mm. you know, never met him um, before speaking now. Um, but I think it is quite shocking. And I think, you know, it's not really for me to say as one independent um, what uh, Neil should or shouldn't do. That's a matter for him. Um, and I, I do I, I do question, though, you know, whether after what's happened, it is appropriate to go to seek to go back into to parliament i i think you know there's there's many other things is that the right thing to do that's that's really a matter for neil and his conscience um neil is is this potential bid to go back into parliament about not wanting the events of last year to be the end of your career in politics there there is some of that yes um, most definitely you know you it's sort of un finished business but like said you you I, I have to go beyond that and I have to go search myself um to see that have I got it necessary things to offer people that it that is different um that would be good going forward um and so therefore you know I mean I'm I'm pursuing you know media out, outlets I'm also um in the process of setting up my own podcast as well so um I am doing things that are you know will will actually go out and sort of talk to people hopefully um and and reach out to people and and then like I said it gives me a, a time really between now um, and the next election, which is probably a year, 18 months away, because um, I suspect it's going to be October 24. That would be my bet now uh, rather than May, but we will see. Um, so, you know, it gives me that opportunity really to see um, have I, you know, have I, um, is it a life sentence and I should never stand again? Uh, it may be. Um, it may not be. Um, do Do people forgive um, I think they do, uh, but have, am I completely finished uh, as a politician? That is what I will. And of course, what I will do, you see, by resigning, and then if you stand again, uh, the point I would say to Jess is that then people can make up their own mind, can't they? And that's what democracy is about. And so therefore, um, you know, I might be mistaken in, in trying to stand again. And if I, I do, I won't get very many votes, will I? But if I'm not mistaken, um, I may well get... Uh, a, a good support so that that will be that is what democracy is about neil just to, just to touch on that quickly obviously you stood on a, as a citizen mp uh previously um the conservatives have announced uh ian little granger as as their candidate for the tiverton seat is that something you're eyeing up for the next election or do you simply not really know yet yeah i mean if if i stand it will be in the it will be in the tiverton uh minehead seat yes that would be the one that that i would would look at um and like i said i haven't decided um yet uh, but i am really contemplating it but i got you know time really to um let 
you know, get out there, actually see what people think um, in order to be able to take the temperature in the water and then decide what to do come closer the election. And just finally, Jess, would you ever consider a, a bid for Parliament? I know Claire Wright, who was <laughs> your predecessor, she, she ran Simon well, Jupp close all last I time. I would say is I'd never say never. Who knows? I mean, I think things are so unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I love representing people. Um, I think it, it's a very, it's difficult, but it's also very, very rewarding and fulfilling. Um, so I would, I'd never rule it out entirely, but I've no immediate plans. Yeah, I, I, I would just say to Jess that I started off in, in local government about 40 years ago nearly. So it is a good way. And I think you get to know people and how to look after people. Um, and mm. it's a very good um, you know, way of getting into politics, actually, and, mm. and into Parliament. So just give it some consideration, Jess. OK. Devon Cast from Radio X. Now let's round up some of the other stories across Devon this week. Uh, Phil, there's been some news on Plymouth's budget. Indeed. They uh, they had their budget meeting and they approved it, but it wasn't straightforward. Um, you kind of wouldn't have expected that from uh, Plymouth City Council. But it was, it was quite a vibrant meeting. There was a lot of argument. And the budget only got through because of a Labour amendment. Now... When we talk about amendments, sometimes we talk about a slight change in a paragraph, a few words here, there. This was a 10-page document they introduced. And um, then they had a long debate on that. That eventually then came through. Uh, Remember that in Plymouth, although Conservatives are in control, Labour has more seats. It's just an anomaly of the situation at the moment. Um, But the the amendment included things like forcing second homeowners to pay double tax, uh, extra funding for violence against women and girls, and a number of things. That was eventually that was eventually passed um but now you've got the independents and the greens saying there wasn't sufficient debate they went to a vote too early so the debate is still going on even though it's uh, several days afterwards Devoncast from radio x charities they're urging devon county council to stop plan cuts to homeless prevention services this is proving quite uh, controversial uh, with the county council they're consulting on plans which would save it around one and a half million pounds per year it says it can no longer afford to pay for the services with the money instead going towards increasing spending in other areas that support vulnerable children young people and adults but a couple of charities ymca exeter and st petrox have warned of potential ramifications uh, the ymca says the consequences for vulnerable young adults will be huge if its funding is stopped they get about 150,000 pounds a year while st petrox says it could lead to a homelessness crisis in the city and it comes as new figures this week reveal the estimated number of rough sleepers in Devon increased in 2022 by 28%. Uh, let's bring you in on this, Jess. Um, I don't think you're too too pleased with these plans. So I'm very concerned um, about these proposals, which uh, to me seems to be coming at the worst possible time uh, because there is a a cost of living crisis um, and the interest uh, rate rises has seen a a huge increase um, in the number of uh, homeless people and that's not just homeless people um, visible rough sleepers but that's the hidden homelessness crisis um, of sofa surfing 
um, and people in insecure accommodation. So I think it's the worst possible time. And as a member of the Health and Adult Care Scrutiny Committee, I will be looking very closely at these proposals. Um, I'm uh, strongly opposed to them. And I think it's it's removing funding from our most vulnerable residents. So um, I, I'm very disappointed uh, that the County Council cannot apparently find the money for our most vulnerable residents. Um, and I think in terms of um, health inequality, um, and uh, we need to find a way of supporting these people and continuing with that funding. And I'm strongly opposed to it being cut. Now, it's just worth saying in a, in a statement, Devon County Council have said, while we've been able to help fund this support service in the past, even though it falls outside our statutory adult social care responsibility. Sadly, we can no longer afford to do so. They add, we will not make a decision regarding this proposal until we've considered the consultation responses and we encourage people in the meantime to let us know what they think. Neil, let's bring you in on this. Uh, In its 2019 manifesto, which you stood on, the Conservative Party made a commitment to end rough sleeping in England by 2024, but it went up last year. Yeah, I mean, I think the government has actually put more money in, but the situation is bad. Um, The situation with social housing, situation with housing generally is very, very tight. Um, Now, I hope that the County Council do actually do this general, you know, a proper consultation and they actually try and find actually some help that come from perhaps other organisations to be able to help with homeless and helping people get into social housing. Um, It is naturally the District Council is very very much normally the provider of, of housing if they can um, through housing associations and some councils still own their own houses uh, but there is more need to be done uh, the trouble the county has got I believe in Devon is they just haven't got the money and so they're looking to prioritize probably towards children services and whatever but I think social housing pe- keeping people in trying to find a home for people who are homeless is very important important. So um, I think it was important that the county actually look at this again. Can I can I just comment on um, when the county council say that um, it's not a, a statutory responsibility? Um, well, improving health and reducing inequalities is a statutory responsibility, as I understand it. And I think that it's very short-sighted because they're, they're trying to save money this way, but inevitably there are going to be consequences elsewhere. And I think that, you know, it, it's a very kind of siloed approach um, that the, the county council are taking. Um, and I, I don't agree with it at all. And we should just say uh, Devon County Council have emphasised that it is just a proposal at this stage that they're consulting on. And that consultation closes in April. Devon Cast from Radio X. Now, how does squirrel stew sound for dinner? Squirrel pie, perhaps? Well, it might be more commonplace if those behind a new local project get their way. The Exmoor Squirrel Project is asking landowners to set live traps and restaurants to serve grey squirrel in a bid to reintroduce red squirrels. They say greys are wreaking havoc on woodlands, costing around £40 million a year in tree damage, while there are only thought to be around 120,000 of the native reds left in Britain. We're joined by Chris Wright, owner of Otterton Mill near Budley Salterton, where squirrel used to be served in the restaurant. Is that right, Chris? Uh, yes, it was indeed. And do you think it should come back? Well, I'm not quite sure at the moment. I'm yet to be persuaded. Um, I think one of the things is whether there's a demand for it. It will be interesting to see how the 
how it goes with the project up on Exmoor, uh, because I know that's where they're targeting um, getting Squirrel back onto the menu, as it were, in their local restaurants. Um, it, it does boil down to a bit of demand. Um, I can see all of the positives for uh, their approach to do so. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say never, um, but I'm not going to rush out and necessarily order uh, Squirrel in for the weekend for, for Sunday dinner. Chris, um, what is the best way to cook a squirrel? How does a squirrel taste best? So I've, I've only ever eaten one. I've never yeah. actually cooked it myself. Um, but I do, I do know that, um, you know, there's not a lot of meat on a squirrel. Um, fairly uh, fairly um, small bones. So, you know, the, the, the main way or the way I had it and the way that I know a lot of people say about cooking it is, is to cook it over a long period of time um, in a, a nice casserole. Um, you know, it, it's got a very similar texture, taste to rabbit. Um, so I would expect all the uh, all the ways that you might cook rabbit um, or, or any other sort of game, really. Um, you know, it's high in protein, low in fat. Um, so there's a lot to be said for it. And Neil, let's bring you in on this. Have you ever eaten squirrel? And would you would you fancy it? No, I, I haven't eaten a squirrel, um, and I think it, it, I, th- I imagine it like a bit like a rabbit stew. You would put quite a lot with it uh, to eat it. I imagine the meat itself is okay, but I imagine you need to add flavour. I mean, I think the wider point for me is that we are trying to plant more trees. We're trying to um, actually help with carbon. Um, the trouble with the the squirrel is they do strip the bark off of trees, and especially when you're trying to establish them. And of course, we do want to try and reintroduce in this part of the world. Um, the the red squirrel um, because you've got to go fairly far north before you see very many red squirrels and into Wales and into Scotland so um, it would be lovely to get them back so yes I think but whether whether squirrel is going to be you know being again being a good farmer I'm not sure that squirrel is going to sort of drive steak off the menu somehow um, and I think when people are perhaps you know have the choice between squirrel and steak they might well probably still go for steak but we, we will see you know it, it will bring a, a new variety won't it jess what do you think of the idea of killing off squirrels and would you order one if you sat down and saw it on a menu <laughs> uh no i don't think i would i was actually looking out of my window this morning and looking at the squirrels in my garden and thinking mm, could could i bring myself to eat that that squirrel i just don't think i could i just i don't know i've read about you know it could be put in a risotto but um they're rodents, aren't they? So, um, no, they're not particularly tempting to eat. I mean, I understand the issue um, with regards, um, you know, stripping the trees and everything. Um, and I think there is a discussion to be had about how we keep our trees safe and how we protect our trees and also how we integrate um, uh, red squirrels back. But in terms of um, putting squirrel on the menu. I, I'm not convinced, I'm afraid, that it's going to take off. And, and I'm not convinced that um, if it's on um, uh, Chris's menu, that it will be a, a you know, a number one uh, top order, because um, it's not that tempting. But I think it is a debate that we need to have about red squirrels more widely and about curls and about how it's done. And, you know, I think it is important that we talk about these things as well as the issue of of, uh, squirrel on the menu. Yeah, and Chris, it does boil down to a wider issue, doesn't it? If you are culling grey squirrels, you might as well put them to to good use, perhaps. 
Yeah, I think I think you need to be careful um, with with how you view this. This isn't about an eradication of a species, um, uh, you know, to the to the um, to the benefit of of another species or for woodlands. This is about control measures to see reintroduction um, of the native red squirrel, um, and also for foresters to. Um, you know, to be able to plant the trees that we all want to reduce the carbon footprint, all those sorts of things. What I find um, a struggle to come to terms with is um, the the thought of something being killed and putting a hole in the ground. Um, now, there are only so many bird sanctuaries, zoos, um, that potentially there would be a market for this. To make these things work, um, you do have to, you know, find a, a, a use. And morally, you need to find a use for that. Um, absolutely right. It's definitely not going to take the place of my rare roast beef sandwich this weekend, um, and, and 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 never would. Um, and it will it will it will appeal to the more I would suspect um, adventurous uh, diner. You know, this this isn't a new thing. Um, you know, a, a brand of crisps um, very much liked by Mr. Lineker um, had them as a flavour at one point in time. I think in about two thousand nine. Um, so, and you can buy it. You can buy squirrel on the internet at the moment. It'll cost you about three ninety-five for a, uh, an oven-ready squirrel um, through, you know, certain certain uh, dealers of of wild game. Um, is it going to be a lovely bit of squirrel, Jackie, uh, this weekend? Probably not. No. Food for thought, if you pardon the pun. Chris Wright from <laughs> Otterton Mill. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Devon Cast from Radio X. To round off this week's show, then, we've got music from a young ex to pop group, so young, in fact, that they're still in school. Alfie, Dan, Alex, Lucas, Corey, Ved and Ethan make up the band Pleasant Sense. They all go to St. James High School and release their first professionally recorded EP in January. They've been speaking to Radio X's Josh Tate. It all really started in the beginning with, with one of our music projects. And for that, we had to do Unit 5. So we had to make one of the songs. And so it started with a chord progression that Lucas came up with. And then the whole uh, the whole idea was to make a Christmas song, right? And then obviously that didn't go that didn't go ahead. So it just turned out to be one song and then everyone getting together and it's just it's all, it's all been great since then. What musicians have inspired you guys? As as a whole sort of the band sound is really based around like cool pop and f- fusing elements of jazz in there. I'm a saxophonist, so I, I have a lot of influence from jazz. Uh, like There are so many ama- amazing musicians like, um, like Paul Desmond or Chris Potter sort of inspire your sound. Yeah, and I feel like we all have these different influences. So our drummer, Corey, I know he's a very big fan of the 1975. Their drum beats sound quite different to what else you hear in pop. I know Ved, obviously with sax, and then it kind of corresponds with our instruments. So you had Alfie, big fan of Billy Joel. I think that's one of his big, yeah. biggest influences. And you can really hear it in all of our playing as well. What are your future plans? At the moment, we're looking for a place to record and like a studio just to practice because we have not much time considering at school. We only have uh, our break time to practice which is like 25 minutes a day, five days a week, but two of them get cut off. So it's only like 75-ish minutes. And if we want to do anything with life, to be honest, 75 minutes a week isn't really going to get us anywhere. 
Do you have any performances coming up or is there any places you would like to have performances in the future? The problem with getting gigs at the moment is that we're all quite underage, like we're not yet 18. And I know that a lot of venues in Exeter, say pubs or bars, you you do have to be that age limit to perform and we're not quite there yet. But at the moment it's just looking at those small opportunities and they'll build up and up. What's your favourite song on your EP? The main feedback we've gotten so far was that flying was the main song that everyone could not get out of their heads. Like, for example, my parents would just tell me, they would just go, oh, I've just been singing your songs all day, or people in school, like my tutor, would just say, oh, flying is the one that I just can't get that beat out of my head, blah, blah, blah. So I think flying for us is probably the most influential song. I wasn't expecting to hear Billy Joel as one of the influences, but uh, good news for him. Uh, We'll hear that song in a second, but just to say many thanks to our guests this week, Neil Parrish and Jess Bailey. Thanks as well to Philip and Rob for their company. We'll be back with another episode on Friday. And as promised, playing us out, this is Pleasant Sense with Flying. Radio X.